jumping into what we have today, uh, Brooke and I spent some time chatting and praying about what we could do on this family dedication Sunday, what we could do in this holiday season, this time of the year when we're jumping into this festive time and families are gathering together. And we just started thinking about uh, something that, that maybe you were needing right now. I'll just be honest, I, I, I took our, a survey in the staff this week, not, not that I'm asking them to, to tell me what to preach, I'm just simply saying, hey, what are some things, if, if, if you said you need addressed or, or you needed to hear, where, what do you think people are needing, where are they at, where, help me shepherd and pastor these people, and, and, and somebody spoke up, and, and two different people, and said, man, my family, my, my marriage, we, we need, I need, I need some relational guidance, I, I need to talk about some things, and so this morning, I'm excited to present this one message, standalone that we've entitled Faith and Family. And I'm going to give you a tag here. What you're going to see is we're going to talk about the ages and the stages of faith and family. The ages and the stages of, of having faith and also having a family. Or let me say it this way, being a part of the family of God. And, and, and you know, when I was young, I used to think everybody's walk with the Lord was, was, was supposed to be a carbon copy of mine. And, and that would make me self-righteous at times. That, that would get me very condemned at times. And over the years, I, I started realizing that people are in different ages and in different stages of their walk. We, we're not all in the same ship. We're all in the same storm. We're all on the same journey. But some of us are in big ships, some of us are in little ships, some of us are in narrow ships, some of us are in wide ships. We're all in different ships in this journey of being a Christian here in this life, during the days of our life. The old timers in the Old Testament, they said we are sojourners. We're, we're pilgrims here. We're traveling to a land. This is not our home. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. It has eternal foundations. So we just wanted to take a moment here in the holiday season and spend some time this morning ministering to our faith and our family. Is that all right at Oaks Church today? First John is going to be the passage that we're going to use. First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, as of custom of late, I'm going to use the New Living Translation, and I'm just going to, I'm going to itemize this. I'm going to break this passage of Scripture down, really put some emphasis on the different ages and stages so you can see it in the Scriptures this morning. Good morning, Miss Katrina. I love you so much, you and your beautiful family. So great to have you with us today. Here's what, here's what John the beloved, John the revelator, John the apostle. This, this is what he says. He says, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're in here today and, and, and you're a child. And, and listen to me. Don't, 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 don't take that negative. You know, honestly, if I could go back to being 18 again, 14 again. See, you know, I looked up the other day Somebody asked me, how old are you? And when I said, I, 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 I was like, I don't want to say 43. Like, like, golly, how did I get 43? It was just yesterday. This, this isn't calling you like a four-year-old or a nine-year-old. If you're a child and you're not yet married and you, you don't have a spouse, you don't have children, you don't have a mortgage, and you, you, know, you don't have all these pressures and fast. Man, I'd give anything to go back. If, if I knew then what I know now. Listen, listen to what he's saying. He says, I'm writing to you who are God's children. You're, you're in this stage, you're in this age where, where you're just walking in, trying to figure out being a child of God. 
says, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Look what John, this early church father, he says, but I'm also writing to those of you who are mature in your faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He, now he's saying, listen, I, I was dealing with a child. Now, now I'm talking to the seasoned saint. I'm dealing with the mature. Those of you that have grown, listen, here's what you know. You know the Lord. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith. Come on, not a child, but I'm, 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 in, that, I'm in that middle season because you have won a battle over the evil one. Oh my goodness, there's, there's just so much in that. Wait a minute, it almost seems like, a, oh, I'm in the middle of the road and I've already won, so the game is over. And he's saying, no, there is a journey ahead, even though you're right in the middle of your stage, right in the middle of your age, but you gotta remember that. You've won if you're gonna continue to walk in victory so much in here. He says, I've written to you. Here he goes back. I love it when he repeats himself. You, you do know Jesus repeated himself sometimes too. Verily, verily. <laughs> it's like, hey, 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 pay attention right here. <laughs> I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart and you have won the battle over the evil one. Father, today we're getting ready to jump headlong into an incredible message today with some incredible family members of mine. And I just want your word, which is already anointed, to come today and to bring an anointed word into every age, into every stage of our faiths and our families today that would help us to leave encouraged, to leave strengthened, and to leave rich. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, church family, just one time as we get into this this morning, I want you to welcome my father-in-law, Pastor Todd Hibbard, who is like a father to me in the faith. And, and I want you to welcome a young man that's no stranger here, Pastor John O'Gates, who's like a son to me in the Lord or a little brother to me in the Lord. I uh, can't set up this passage this morning without sharing some context with you before we all jump in to what it is God's placed on our heart as, as we've prepared throughout this week. But if you were a Bible study buff like I am, then, then you probably would want to know some context leading up to this. And, and as I began to study this passage of Scripture this week, I found out some things that I didn't even know. Uh, many of us know that, that the Apostle John is the one who writes the book or the story or the uh, apocalyptic message of the book of Revelation. And we know that he writes that message while he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, where he's been exiled by the Roman government for being a, a, a Christian and a preacher and, a, and an apostle and a church planner. But I didn't know that, that the primary function of John's ministry before he was exiled was out of the church of Ephesus, that, that book in your Bible that you call the book of Ephesians. And when John was there ministering in those Western churches that were beginning to grow, known as the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, John wrote many letters there. So John is the believed author. He never attributes the message to himself, but he, but he makes some indicators throughout his writing that this is who it is. It would have been in about the time of, of 85 AD 
85 years, 90 years right after uh, the time of Jesus. He's, he's writing it as a pastor who has been a part in planning these churches. So if, if you ever need a letter from your pastor, it, it's good to pick up the Bible and just turn to these, these small epistles because you can see what the pastoral heart of the early church fathers was. And, and he's a Jew, but he's writing to these Gentiles. And, and in this, he writes a common theme. He says, listen, I'm, I'm addressing people that have now come to know the truth. Remember that. You've come to know the truth. And as you've come to know the truth, here's what follows knowing the truth, obeying the truth and walking in love. You know, as we talked about last week and, and the service ended in, um, in, in really kind of a, a cliffhanger type of way, when, when it came time for our service to end last week, we, we just, I could sense it. Nobody wanted to go. I didn't want to go. The spirit was still moving. And, and, and it was just that, that, that moment where we were having to look face to face in the mirror of God's word, that it wasn't about hearing a message. It wasn't about getting goosebumps. It wasn't about being stirred. Last Sunday morning, it was about, okay, all that's happening every week to me. I'm hearing a word. I'm being stirred. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. But how do I walk out of here knowing the truth and obey it? And, and, and live it in my life. It's, it's kind of a, a message of application where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And that's what this pastoral letter is about. Now you know Jesus, you know the truth, but now that you know him, you've got to obey it and you've got to walk out this lifestyle in love. The purpose of this message, man, there's some great preaching in here, was to expose and to challenge wrong doctrine. There was already wrong teaching in the church in the first hundred years. And the apostle John wasn't afraid to call out heresy. He was trying to challenge the spiritual children of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ to pursue a lifestyle of purity and a companionship with God. And, and he said, how people in the world are going to know you and know that you are the salt, know that you are the light, is that you're going to do what's right and true in the midst of a world that's always going to do what's wrong and full of darkness. It's going to make you stick out. They're going to know you. Uh, I love this verse. If there's one key verse that sums up the first little small pastoral epistle of John. It's this, it's John 5 and 13. He says, I've written to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I, you know him and now you know what you've got. And out of knowing him and knowing what you've got, you're going to be prepared to live. You're going to be prepared to do. Obviously, I've, I've already made it clear that the apostle John is, is writing this letter concerning the topic of love to early Christians and to and within the Christian family. He, he even says, I love this, he said, this is not a new command. And then he turns right back around in the same breath and he says, it's not a new command, but it is a new command. And that's one of those things in the scriptures that makes me go, hmm. It's not new, but it's new. So, you know, the, the student in me, the preacher in me, I had to do a little digging and I found out what he's saying to the Jewish audience that would read that. As you know, in our law, we've always been told to love. However, now to the broader Christian audience, this is new because to the Jew, the Jew was supposed to love the fellow Jew, but scorn the infidel, scorn the Gentile. And now in the church, Jesus is saying, no, love your brothers, but love the enemies, love the world, love those who do evil to you and spitefully treat you. And so he says, this is a new aspect of an old commandment. You got to love everybody, not just people like you. However, John goes on to say in this letter that he has certain messages to certain aspects within the family who are walking in certain ages and certain stages 
of their life. And, and honestly, I'm going to back down now and just back out of the way because that's where I want to hone in on today. That's where I want to start. I've, I've given you centralized truth and I've, I've shown you what the context of the passage is, but, but I want us to go back to that, that writing of that pastoral heart of an early church father who's known to be the, the beloved disciple when he says, look, you children need to know some things. You, you who are mature need to remember some things. And those of you who are still young in this thing, you got to know and remember some things. I want us to hone in on some of those ages and stages today. And the first age and stage that I want to set up today is going to be thrown up on the screen. And that would be the age and the stage of a child. The age and the stage of a child. I'm so excited to be able to speak to you guys this morning pertaining to the age and the stage of a child. This season of life is uh, where we may be in adolescence in your faith or in your family. Like this is where your journey is really just getting started. This is where you are under maybe the care of your parents. This is where you may have more questions then you do mm. answers. Hello, somebody. Come on, John. But I'm excited to talk about this age and stage in this season of our life because I truly believe that this stage of life has the potential to lay the foundation for the rest of your life. And I love the fact that the apostle, the apostle John writes to and specifically addresses those who are adolescent in faith. He specifically writes to a group of people who are childlike in their faith. And they, this is imperative. This is so important that we get this this morning. Did you notice what he says? To those who are God's children. I love that. How many guys know we often struggle to see the significance of every season that we're in? We struggle to feel that where we are has any significance to our life. But what I need us to all get this morning and what I need us to understand is that this age and stage of our life, this season of life actually has profound significance for your faith and for your future. Church family, I truly believe that this our, our ability to be dedicated to this season will shape the destination of your future. This season has the potential to set up your life for success or set you back for some struggle. This, this season of life can set you up for your family or it can set you up for some struggle within your family. It can set you up for some success in your marriage or it can set you up for some struggle within your marriage. And so if we get this stage right, if we get this season straight, I believe that we can effectively and efficiently walk into the next stages of life with strength and confidence. Because how many of you guys know, this stage is the most formative stage. This stage is where you and I discover who we are and who God has called us to be. This is where we learn how we think, how we operate, how we are as a person. This is where we're discovering and developing, where you're learning and where you're growing. This is where you dig deep. 
this is where you allow God to pull out of your life the things that he did not put in your life. This is the time of life where we allow God to do the inner work. The areas of our heart and our life that are dysfunctional. The things that we don't want to do, but we do do. This is where God starts breaking down those walls that you've built up in your life. This is where God starts shaping you and making you into who God has called you to be. And can I just remind some church people today, God did just not make you and leave you. No, God is still making you. He's still shaping you. He's not done with you. He's still forming you into the person and the purpose that he has for your life. He didn't just make you to leave you. No. He's still making, he's still involved in the process of who you are becoming. But can I tell you, church, we also have a part to play in the process of what God is doing in our life. Let me give you a little secret. Who you become is up to you. Who you become is your responsibility to the revelation of what God speaks to your life. See, we have an opportunity every single time God confronts or addresses something in our life to say, okay, hey, this hurts to hear, this hurts to feel, but at the same time, I'm gonna respond to the word and the revelation of what God is speaking about my heart and my character, and I'm gonna choose not to resist it, but to receive the work that God is doing. Can I just tell you, we need more adolescents to steward the season well that God has placed them in. We need more children in faith to steward the season that God has them in. And here's the deal. One of the things I've learned about God is sometimes God will allow us to walk through some hard things not for us to suffer, but to allow some things to surface. To allow some things in our life to come to surface that wouldn't have come because we were never placed in a position for that to surface to begin with. See, God wants to work out of you the things that he didn't put in you. And this season of adolescence, this season of childness or childlikeness is a season for God to grow and develop you into someone that he's forming you into. And for those of you that are stuck in the process of God working things out of your life, be encouraged. It means you're making progress. For those of you that feel like you're going through the fire, just remember the most defining seasons come from the most refining seasons. And one of the things in the stages and places of life that there's a lot of people who are falling into this trap of focusing more on defining their calling than they are on discovering their purpose. And I think in church, we often use purpose and calling interchangeably. So let me define them for you. Your calling is what you are created to do. But your purpose is who you are created to be. Your purpose is who you are becoming in Christ. 
This encompasses your identity. It encompasses your character. This is who God is forming you into. And let me tell you, your character is created. The Bible says that bad company can corrupt good character. So by that logic, if you and I can corrupt our character, we can also create our character. And every single choice that we make, every single person that we keep in our life is slowly shaping and slowly forming us into something. And here we are, the Bible's literally telling us, hey, don't be deceived. Your character, who you become, is absolutely imperative. And God cares about who you're becoming. Because you can still do what God's called you to do without becoming who God has called you to become. Who I become is up to me and what God speaks to the condition of my heart. So my purpose is to be with God. My purpose is to walk with God. My purpose is to speak to God, to hear from God, to allow God to guide me, to teach me, to lead me, to draw me closer to his presence. In this season, that is where you learn who you are. That is where you discover who God has made you to be. It's from being with God and walking with God that you start to know more about God and from knowing God and from understanding God and walking with him, you start to understand who he created you to become. So your purpose is who you're created to be, but your calling, that's what you're created to do. Your calling is what's in front of you. Your calling is the assignment that's given to you. It's the age, come on somebody, or the stage that God has you in currently. And here's the deal, callings can change. Callings can shift. But what happens is because we use purpose and calling interchangeably, we get all this confusion and all these things twisted. And so we start to place our significance and our identity and our calling, the very thing that should only be placed in our purpose. And then when those things change, we don't know who we are because we place our identity in something that always is moving. So we don't know who we are apart from what we do. We don't know who we are apart from where we've been. Can I just remind someone this morning that you are not your calling, but God uses your calling to shape you into who you're becoming. Your calling may change, but come on somebody, your purpose will always remain the same to walk with God and to become more like God. The age and stage of a child or adolescent wasn't created to just discover what you're created to do. It was created for you to discover who you were made to be. We need more believers that are dedicated to this season. We need more believers that are devoted to growing in this time. We have too many people who don't know who they are. And how many of you guys know, when you don't know who you are, you welcome things into your life that God never wanted for your life. I love that the book of Proverbs literally says, without vision, people perish. 
So it literally warns us, hey, if you don't have a vision for your life, you will suffer. You're gonna struggle. You will perish in this world. And how many guys know we will always accept less into our life when we don't have a vision for our life. We will accept anything and everybody that comes into our path and eventually you're gonna find yourself in a space and a place that you didn't wanna be in. You're gonna find yourself with some people that you don't wanna be around because when you don't have vision, you will always lack direction. When you don't have vision, you will always make stupid decisions. When you don't have a vision of who God has said, hey, this is who you're called to be, you're gonna start doing what everyone else thinks you should do and who they want you to be. What we settle for will directly affect the strength that we walk in for the rest of our life. And church family, discovering who you are and the vision for who you are to become does not come from a status. It does not come from an achievement. It does not come from a title or a position. No, no, the apostle John gives us the key. He says, notice this in verse 14, those who are God's children because you know the father. So knowing who you are begins with knowing who God is. So this vision, this revelation of who you and I are and who we are created to be only comes from intimacy and proximity to God. And let me tell you, you will never know who you are until you understand who you belong to. God has given every single one of us different ages and stages, different seasons to steward, to cultivate, to grow, to develop and discover. And you will get out of every season what you put into the season. Because the truth is you can only develop something to the extent that you've discovered it. I cannot fully develop who God created me to be if I've not taken adequate time to discover who God made me to be. In some of us, we've never learned how to confront our traumas. So we've lived the last 10 years ruled by our triggers. Some of us, we've, we struggle to lead spiritually because we never learned how to lead spiritually individually. Like if you can't lead you, how are you gonna lead her? If you don't even like you, how are you gonna love her? Can I speak to some of the singles in the room? Where are y'all at? Throw up your hand, hey, look around. Just kidding. What better place to find a spouse in the house of God? Let me speak to the singles for a second. If you're single in the room, I wanna remind you, a significant other will not give you your significance. A significant other will not give you your value. Discover your significance in singleness. So when you get in a relationship with someone, you won't be asking for something from someone that they were never created to give you. Your significance can only be given to you by the one who created you. It cannot come from any created thing. It doesn't come from how many swipes you get, how many likes you get. It doesn't come from how many dates you've been on. It comes from God. 
Like, ain't no girl gonna come in my life and take out of my life what she did not give me. Discover your significance in singleness. You want a healthy dating life? Have a healthy individual life. You want a healthy marriage? Start by having healthy dating habits. Learn in this stage to lead and live well. Learn to confront things. Learn to work, not just a job, but work through your emotions. Work through some conflict. Work through developing some communication skills. Learn how to become healthy, not just emotionally, but spiritually, physically, mentally. Who you, let me say it like this, what you do today will set up who you become tomorrow. So what are you doing today that's going to set you up to walk out who God's called you to be tomorrow? There are things that I got to do every day that I don't want to do, but I do it because it's shaping me into the person that God has called me to become. What if we could be in the age and stage where we saw absolute significance to this season? That we don't just see this as purposeless or pointless, but no, there is purpose in this season. There is purpose to every place that God has you in. And can I just remind some people today to pursue God? Can I remind some people today to get a vision from God? Get a vision for your life. Get a vision for who God has called you to become because I truly believe that what you do now in this season matters. What you do right now in this stage matters because your faithfulness in this season will seed the fruitfulness in the next. The second age and stage that we want to talk about this morning, they're going to put it on the screens, is referred to in this passage as the stage of the young man. And I just want to clarify that obviously when the Bible makes references to a man seeming gender specific, that there is unilateral applicability to both man and woe man. Um, the stage of the young man or the stage of the young woman. I, I love that Pastor Jono has, has come to be with us this weekend, and, and I love that he, me knowing firsthand, has walked out so much of what he's preaching and so much of what he's teaching in this role of adolescence or in this role of being first a child of God. I, I love if you were to just summarize what Pastor Jono was saying, maybe for you note takers, he, he's saying that in this season of being a child, it begins with knowing you're a child of God and, and coming out of that relationship with knowing you're a child of God is your identity and it creates your vision for where you're going in life and 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 that is just rich and powerful but but for myself today or for Brooke today or for those of you in the room that you know are six years into the married life or 12 years into the being a born-again Christian or 20 years into raising a family or quote-unquote a young family that that may have been a season 
season of yesteryear. That may be a season of, 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 of a decade ago that you often glance back to in your rearview mirror and you draw from to help guide you in this season. But I love that this passage of scripture has something to say to me specifically, something to say to you specifically that find yourselves in the walk of life that Brooke and I are in today. Being a Bible preacher and a Bible thumper, I just didn't want to blow by these scriptures without using them to harness in and wrangle in my thoughts to communicate to you today. And in verse 13 here in the B part of that verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, the B part, latter half, New Living Translation, he says this, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith. And he makes this statement. He says, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I'm, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you've won your battle with the evil one. And when I read that for the very first time, the first thing that grabbed me is the Bible, the Apostle John, the pastor of this epistle is, is saying, I know right where you're at, John Skipworth. I, I know right where you're at, Kyle Brown. I know right where you're at, Cody Brown. I know right where you're at, Philip Williams. I know right where you're at, Chad Parker. I know right where you're at, Zeb Mixon. I, I know right where you're at, Aubrey Moffat. I know, I know right where you're at, all of you young men with these young families that are in the middle of your life, in the busiest season of your life, in the greatest season of your life, in the most complex season of your life. I didn't forget you. I, I've been where you're at and I know what you're going through. And I I want you to remember this one thing. You've won the battle with the evil one. I, I got to be honest with you. If this is a moment in a morning to be transparent like the window panes that allow us to see beautiful Bayou Desire, what a great venue to have church in every Sunday morning. Pastor Chad often says that he's not sure he can preach up here because he would be looking outside at the birds and the ducks. But I want to be transparent with my heart today, much like those glass panes. I got to tell you, life can sometimes become so hectic and so busy and the demands be so great and the pressures be so great. And, and there'll be so many things on the schedule and so many needs and so many questions that I honestly oftentimes don't have all of the answers to it. And, and, and at times I question, what do you mean I've already won the battle? I don't, I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like I have the battle. I don't, I don't feel like I'm living in victory. I feel like I'm holding on to a shoestring here, faking it till I make it like the world says half the time until I get over to the other side or to the other place or things slow down or calm down. I love that the Apostle John, our pastor here, says in the, the next verse, verse 14 in the B part of that verse, he says, I've written to you, listen to me, you young men, you young women in the faith, because the truth of the matter is you are strong. Here's why you're strong, because God's word lives in your heart and you have won the battle over the evil one. Now, if you know me, Pastor Chuck, if, if you know me, Daniel, if you know me, Miss Melba, if you know me, Katrina, if you know me, Rhonda, you know I got to figure out why authoritatively the Apostle John is calling me victorious. I want to know why he's saying I'm strong. I want to know why he's referring that my heart is full of the Word of God. And out of that, I've already won this battle. Maybe he knows something that I don't know. Maybe he's prophesying over my life to be in a place that I'm not in at this moment. Oh, Bible, would you please teach me? 
I started looking into the scriptures. Can, can you show me where the apostle John wrote about already operating in victory? And the first thing that I got when I started digging through was that second chronicle story where the children of Israel are getting ready to go out to battle. And, and the Lord comes and says, now I've let you fight a few battles, but I think you're getting it twisted. I, I think you're starting to confuse your ability with my ability. I, I think you're starting to take on your own ego that you're conquering these nations. And so this time, I want you to just hang back. And when the enemies come out, you're going to hear what sounds like marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. And the Lord's going to come down and confuse your enemies and fight your battles. And you're never going to lift a hand. You're never going to draw a sword. You're never going to sling a spear. And it is a sign for you that I am your victory, that I am your conqueror. So I started digging in this. And the apostle John in a same book in a later chapter makes this statement. He says, for whichever you young men, whichever you young women, for whoever has been born of God is already living and operating in victory over this world. And the victory that you have to overcome this world is your faith in what God has already done for you. So I'm like, okay, apostle, you're, you're, you're preaching here. It's good. I'm digging it. But I, I, there's some dots that I still need to connect. And then all of a sudden you mentioned Paul. Now I'm going to mention Peter. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, the apostle Peter says this. I want to remind you, young men. I want to remind you, young women. I want to remind those of you that know Jesus, that are born again, that you have been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed. You are born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever in my hand I'm holding up a little acorn and around here we believe that from little acorns mighty oaks do grow that we can put this little seed in the ground and it can die in the ground and from that death all of a sudden there'll be a sprout of life and roots will begin to go down deep and then all of a sudden the tree will grow to new heights it will endure droughts it will endure storms but I got to tell you something that seed right there my friend is a corruptible seed but the seed of the living, the abiding, the enduring word of almighty God that was preached out of a preacher's mouth, that was preached out of the word of God, that was preached into your heart. That word is perfect. It is incorruptible. It is eternal. And when that seed went down in your heart, it birthed you again like the picture of the sprout of the new tree. It birthed you into a living hope. It birthed you into a new creation. It birthed you with a new nature. It made you a new man. It made you a new woman. It gave you the ability of God to do what you could never do in and of yourself. Here's what the Bible says about that little seed, about that, that incorruptible seed, that this seed is actually the DNA of God. The Bible in the Greek language refers to that word as the sperma. I'm going to let you figure out the rest of it there in your biology class. It says that the sperma of God that has been placed in your heart has now produced, not, not out of your old nature that you received from Adam, not out of the death and the corruption and the lust and the pride and the ego and the selfishness and the addiction, that this new seed that came into you reproduced after its own kind, after its own likeness. It began to make you like God. It gave you a new desire. It gave you a new dream. It gave you a new agenda. It gave you a new destiny. It gave you a new future. And this thing growing inside of you has already given you the victory that you may not even realize you have. It's given you the victory 
of God's word being in you and what the apostle is saying to the other apostle is, yes, they have the victory. Yes, they've overcome the world. Yes, they have this battle already won. And the proof of the pudding is, is they've already been born by the word of God. And when God was born in them, it gave them everything they will ever need, not externally, but internally to love their neighbor, to be faithful to their wife, to be a godly mother and a godly father, and upright and pure and good and giving and loving and serving and surrendering. It will make them into the likeness of Jesus in this earth if they will still yield to that new nature. I see these five words and, and I'm going to go and surrender the rest of my time to the distinguished gentleman who is in the stage of a father to my left. The stage of the young man is five words to me. It's number one is that if you're young, Chris, in your faith, in your marriage, there is a battle going on. There's a battle going on in the world that we live in today. There's a battle for your convictions. There's a battle for your faith. There's a battle for your marriage. There's a battle for your home. There's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your eternity. And don't you go to sleep at the wheel and ever forget that in this battle, there is a raging war of the other side who is being led, number two, by your enemy. And your enemy didn't wake up today with a new mission statement. He didn't say Oaks Church exists to see the lost saved and the broken healed and the community enriched and the world impacted. He woke up today mad as ever, snarling, roaring, growling. I came to kill you. I came to steal from you. I came to destroy you. And we need to remember that we have an inshore victory against this enemy in this battle as long as our hearts stay full of the word of God, as long as we stay enriched with the truth of God's word, the power of God, it's the daily buffet that we have to feed on to remember who we are and what we've already been promised to have. You see, if you don't know what you have and you don't know where you're going, then you can be misled. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But if you are reminded, if you can remember, if you can stay focused on the fact that it's God's word in me. I, I've been born again. It's a sign of my new nature. It's, it's, it's the purity that I need. It's the peace that I need. It's the love that it's what I need to stay walking in the victory of this battle that is constantly raging around me. If you start looking at what you don't have, you'll end up going to where you didn't want to go. If you start looking at what you do have, what weapons you do have, what, what arrows you do have in the quiver, what, what weaponry you have in the arsenal, you will be reminded and be confident that everything you need has already been provided. Listen to these scriptures. Here's what the Bible says. The war horse is prepared for the day of battle. But my friend, never forget the victory comes from the Lord. Never forget these scriptures that say, unless the Lord watch over the city, the laborers that stay up at night, they stay up in vain. That they that build the house, they labor unless the Lord come in and work among them 
to build the house that they're incapable of building. I, I think all I'm trying to say to you today as I surrender the rest of my time is never forget those of you who are in that middle season of your life, the most blessed season where your lives are expanding, your careers are taking off, your homes are full, your schedules are packed. Never forget while you're in this season of life. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get on autopilot. He wants you to get discouraged. He wants you to get overwhelmed. He wants you to get overconfident. He wants you to get arrogant. He wants you to get prideful. He wants to do whatever he can do to make you forget that you are actually in the midst of a raging battle so that the enemy can swoop in and to destroy everything that you love and everything that God has made and is giving. And the answer to winning this war is very simple. You want to know what it is? It's stay mindful of the Word of God that birthed you and made you new and fills your heart and therein daily makes you strong. Amen. Well, of course, they uh, told me to speak on the mature. I don't know if it has anything to do with this gray or the bald or whatever, but, but honestly, I want to start by saying spiritual maturity has nothing to do with this. Spiritual maturity has something to do with what's inside of you. And so, and so when, when, we were, when we were young, I mean, when, when my kids were young, we would, when things were, when we, we had family talks. We would sit down and, and, of course, they didn't like the family talks too much because they were always pretty serious. They were instructive. They were saying, hey, let's, let's steer away from that, over to this, you know. So, so we had family talks. So if you guys would, just a second, would you, would you have a family talk with me? Could we have a little family talk for a minute? Now, now the passage I want to speak on is I am writing to you. It's, it's, it's uh, John 2, 13. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning now that word know jumped out at me because I don't know how many of you know that that word know is not a head knowledge that word know is an intimate term do you remember when God created Adam and he created Eve and it said Adam knew Eve that's an intimate term. That's what happens when a man and a wife get together and they know they're intimate with one another and that intimacy produces fruit. It produces offspring. That's what this is talking about. Maturity is knowing. It's intimacy with Christ. Um, why is it so important to be, intim to be intimate with your father? Why is that so important to us? You know, because you don't reprodu reproduce what you know in your head. But, but you reproduce what you are from the inside. And, and who you are on the inside is produced in the secret place with your Father. It's produced in intimacy with your Father. And so, I can remember years ago, I was 18 years old, and I won't tell the whole story, I'm gonna give you a snippet of it that I just graduated high school. My, my mom and dad sent me to Alaska. It was supposed to be a two-week trip. They wanted me to experience Alaska, wanted me to get away from the girlfriend I was dating, yada, yada. So anyway, two weeks in Alaska. I got up there. Long story short, it was a year before I made it back to Louisiana. I got trapped in Alaska. Didn't know anybody, and I wound up at a little, 1,500 feet up on the side of a mountain, a little place called Alaska Bible Institute. That's where I laid my head down for that whole year. 
And during that year, I had never lived for God before that. During that year, I surrendered my life to Jesus in a basement in Alaska. And as you guys know, so many things started coming up inside of me. I mean, I had lived a sinful life. Now I'm trying to live a godly life, and I'm struggling, man. The flesh is fighting with the spirit. I'm lonely. I'm homesick. There's so many things I'm dealing with, and I got overwhelmed. And so I began to walk out at night. I would, it didn't matter if it was 30 below. I'd walk out, put a lot of clothes on, and I'd walk down a little road that the school was on, a little muddy dirt road called Mission Road, and I would walk down, you could see down over the bay and the downtown, the mountains across, and I would walk up and I'd climb up on a hill. And I would sit on that hill and I would pour out my heart to God. It's on that hill, y'all, that God, God met me. It's where I felt His Spirit for the first time. It's where I began to understand His heart for me. Where I began to find my identity in Him. Not in school, not in where I was, not in location. I found my identity in Him. That's where it started on that hill. And then a natural thing that comes out of that intimacy with God is an echo that, comes, that begins to come out of you. As you begin to know the Father, there's an echo. And it's not just a vocal echo. It's an echo of your life. You hear what God says, you begin to learn God, and then you begin to portray that. You begin to echo that in your actions and with your life. And so saying that, I wanted, to, uh, if, I wanted to say something to father and mothers in here. I wanted to talk just a minute, spouses, husbands. I wanted to talk to you just a minute. And, and I've got five things. If you're a father and mother who knows the father, who's, who's becoming intimate with the father, then there's a few things that you're going to begin to echo in your life. You're going to begin to echo in your relationships. How do we love one another? We echo. We echo the love that God gives us. And so that's, that's what we need to do. We need to echo a few things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just a few things I feel like the Spirit pointed out. The first thing you're going to begin to echo in your families, in your marriages, in your relationships, in your workplace, you're going to begin to echo wisdom. Proverbs 4, 8, and 9 says, if you prize wisdom... She will make you great. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head and she will present you a beautiful crown. That's wisdom. Did you hear the word embrace? Did you know you could have wisdom and still be a fool? <laughs> the Bible says embrace wisdom. Hold it tight like you would your best girl, you know. Hold them tight. Don't let them go. Don't let wisdom go. Did you know who wrote this? It was Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever walked. But yet, in the end of his life, he played a fool. He chased foreign women, and it pulled his heart away from God. We have to embrace wisdom. So as you get intimate with the Father, there's one thing you're going to need to echo. You're going to begin to echo wisdom. Embrace it. The second thing is consistency. Woo! Man, your family, your coworkers, they need you to be consistent. I mean, I'm not talking about never having a rough moment, not talking about being perfect, but I am talking about consistency and character. They need to know who to expect you to be today, tomorrow, and the next day. Consistency in your discipline. 
If you're a parent and you're disciplining your kids, don't be one way one day and expect one thing from them. Next day, expect something else. Be consistent. Give them clear boundaries so they know what to expect. Be consistent. Be consistent in your kindness. Whoo, don't be mean one day, mean-spirited. and Don't go out to lunch today and be mean to the waiter. Echo the heart of God, which is kindness. Be consistent in your kindness and be consistent in your love. Man, where do we learn to be consistent? By spending time with a consistent one. Isn't that easy? The third thing is, is, is you're going to learn to echo a guide. You're going to become a guide. You're going to echo that heart of God. John 16, 13 says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. It's part of that intimacy. is hearing the Spirit and letting Him guide you and obeying. The second, Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your own ears will hear Him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way. Walk in this way. You know, uh, John Maxwell makes a statement, and me and Pastor John use it all the time. It's an incredible statement. He said, a leader knows the way, and he don't just know the way, he goes the way, and he doesn't just go the way, he shows the way. It's not enough just to know the way. We have to go the way, and then we have to show the way, you know? And as we, as we get intimate with the Father, and we understand that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, then it empowers us to guide our families, it, in, it empowers us to lead in, a, in the right direction because we echo the heart of the Father that is guiding us into a bright future. The fourth thing is, is love. 1 Corinthians 13 lives a whole list about love. Read that list. I'm not going to read it all. I don't have time. Read that list and, and look at your heart and see how you're measuring up. I do want to highlight a couple of little of little areas that list in 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's areas that we're, we're very lacking of in our society. The first one is that love always protects. Love always protects. I want to ask you a question in your home. Are you protecting your family? Fathers, mothers, are you protecting your family? Are you protecting your children from the content they're watching? Are you protecting them from little peels or little bottles that will, that will, for a moment, they will numb, <laughs> they will give you a little bit of pleasure and a little bit of freedom, but in the long run, they have potential to destroy your children's lives. Are you protecting your kids from that? Are you protecting them from alcohol and, and peels and all those sorts of things? Are you protecting them from sexuality that they're seeing and they're viewing on the screen? God has called us to love our family, and love always protects. Um, did you guys know discipline is protection? Did you know that? Have you ever processed that? Discipline is protection. Hebrews 12, 6 says that for the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one that He accepts as a child. Why does God discipline those He loves? Because He loves you. I mean, discipline sets you in a right path. It sets you up for success. It sets you, sets you up for prosperity. It's the, the discipline of God. So we need to echo that in our families. We need to echo that with our children. We need to learn to discipline. If we don't discipline our children, we are 
we are providing a great service. Love your children. Love your children by disciplining them. It protects them. It protects. So the second thing is love is kind and gentle. The Bible says that a bruised reed, a reed that is ready to break, God's not going to break it off. God is going to nurture it. He says a smoldering wick that he will not extinguish. If our lives are just not at the potential they need to be, they're not shining a bright light, we're smoldering, we're struggling. The kindness of God says that he's not going to extinguish that. He's going he's to blow it back into flame. He's going he's to be kind and gentle with you if you're struggling. You know, you can speak the truth to your family, but you can speak it in a kind and gentle way. It can be firm, but it can be kind and gentle, Pastor John. Um, Pastor John was telling me about his daughter harvesting her first deer, and it, it immediately took me back several years ago when my middle daughter was in a deer stand with me. And she, I don't even remember the setup, but she was getting so emotional, she would begin to cry. And, and um, I was frustrated. She was always emotional. <laughs> Whew. And I began to get frustrated, and I'm like, would you just stop it? I said, we can just get down and go home now. And she stopped, but I could tell it wounded her. My harsh actions, my harsh reactions to her emotionalism. It, it bothers me to this day. I mean, I have apologized. She said, I don't even remember that, Daddy. But it bothers me. And so, and so you will never regret. You'll never regret the echoes of God that you're producing. But you will regret those things that you do out of harshness to your family. And the last thing I want to share is grace. Woo. If we are intimate with, a father, with our Father God, we are going to reproduce. We're going to echo grace. Ephesians 4, 7 but says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Pastor John just said that. It's the same grace that gives us victory. It's, a, it's Christ's gift to us. That, that this vertical connection with God, and He extends grace that we do not deserve. Not one of us deserve it. He gives us grace, and so we need to horizontally to each other extend grace. I'm going to disappoint you. Pastor Jono is going to disappoint you. Kylie, he's going to disappoint you. Pastor John is already disappointed, Brooke. And I'm not even looking at Angela. I already know what she's doing. She got that old smug look on her face right now. You, you need to extend, we need to extend grace to one another. The same grace that God gives us, we need to extend to those people that we, we rub shoulders in. And then in verse 15, right after these passages... John says this, do not love the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. It's false pleasure. There's nothing in money and, and, and those false pleasures that is going to satisfy. Don't fall into that trap. How do you not fall into that trap? How do we echo the heart of God? If I could tell you one thing that has changed my life, and we'll sound like a salesman. It's changed my life and it'll change your life too. 
I'm being serious. If I could find, if I could tell you one thing that would change your life, you remember the hill in Alaska I was talking about where I met God and God? 37 years later, 30, uh, some of y'all doing the math right now, 37 years later, I still walk almost every night and I still talk to God at night. I still pour out my heart to Him. If I could tell you two things that would change your life, the first thing is find your heel. It doesn't matter where that heel is. That's the place that you're going to be intimate with God, Andy. It's, it's find your heel and begin to pour out your heart. heart. Begin to know God. Find your heel and be an echo. Echo what God downloads into you. Echo that. Echo it not in what you say so much, but in how you walk and how you act and how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat your children. Let it be an echo. Thank you. There's so much I want to say right now as we end our time together this morning. The first thing that I do want to say is we're in a response church. We're an altar church. I know we don't have much room here at Bayou Point. We also can't control the thermostats. One day we're going to have our own place. We'll have a bigger altar and we can control those thermostats. We hope the Lord speaks to you to help us get there. Um, you don't have to physically get up out of your seats. You don't have to come down front. But, but what I've asked each of these men of God to do this morning is to come prepared, not just to give you information. Could, could you honor the both of them for, for, for their time of preparation and what they've given? What, what I've asked them to do is to not educate you or to inform you, but to come with an anointing to pray for change for you. When we hear sermons and we're just moved and we're stirred, and, and, and listen, we have served teams and all of us work different weeks and you're rushing out to do, I'm not condemning you. Thank you so much for, for serving here at Oaks Church. The secret sauce of Oaks Church is our serve team. Over 200 people, takes 80 people a Sunday to pull this off. We rotate on a three-week basis. Thank all of you that serve. But if it's your week, Pastor Chris, to be in here, if it's your week and you're in here today, don't rush out. Don't rush out. It's, you know, since we're talking about faith and family and Pastor John was talking about dating and he and Kylie have been staying at my mother-in-law and father-in-law's place over the weekend. The first time I dropped them off in the driveway, I yelled out the window. I said, I got my first kiss from Brooke standing right there. That was just a prophetic declaration over, over. And then I remembered, no, I got turned down for the first time right there. The point of this illustration, she said, pastors don't kiss. I said, well, this one does. I may not be a pastor, but because I kiss. I didn't want to leave that date without what? I didn't want to leave that date without that kiss. I mean, I don't want to leave her today without that kiss. I don't want to leave the house without that kiss. I don't, want to, I don't want to leave to go to lunch without that kiss. I spent some time with Curtis Southern this week. I heard him on the phone two different times with Ethan. Ethan, how old are you? 
How old? 33 years old. That's around about the time Jesus began his ministry. I just prophesied over you, 33 years old. It's going to be a great year of great change in your life. And when he got off the phone two different times, he told his 33-year-old son who has children, he said, I love you. And when he got off the phone with him, I said, I said that, that spoke to me, Curtis, that before your son just went through a trivial task of the day, you took the time to reassure and to reaffirm to your son that you loved him. I don't want to leave here today without affirming, but without that, I don't want to leave today without the best part. You've got the information. Now the best part comes. You see how I just dropped that off on your doorstep? The best part is where you stop for a moment and give God the freedom, the the freedom and the creativity to change some things in you so that you can leave different. This is the best part. So I'm going to ask Pastor John in just a moment to get ready to pray. We're not going to drag this out, make this long. But, but I want you to literally ask people that, that heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and what you were sharing, that content, to stand up on your feet. And I want you to pray for them. I'm going to do the same, and, and I want you to, to do the same. What, what we've tried to do today is take three men that are imperfect, that are in the family of faith, walking out this journey to try to share what it is that we see. And, and for the note takers and the, the itemizers in here, the OCD people like me, I mean, Pastor Jono said, if you're in the age of a, of a child, the age of an adolescent, here's, here's the two things you gotta do. You gotta get your identity and your vision from God. Then I came and said, if you're in the middle of the road, here's what you can't let the day-to-day -day demands of the hectic schedule make you forget. We already have the victory, but we're reminded of the victory by remaining in the word. And then Pastor Todd came and said to those of you that are fathers, don't ever forget to get up on your heels so that you can come back down to the valleys and be a great echo. I mean, that's great preaching. That's great teaching. And, and we didn't even prepare. I'm like, that's supposed to go together. We were too busy trying to get them tigers past some Razorbacks yesterday. <laughs> Pastor John, I want you to step up here and you to ask these people who's heard the voice of the Holy Spirit just pray for them. Pastor Todd I want you to I want you to come to if you're in the room and maybe you're finding yourself in the season of an adolescent or a child and that was pertinent to you that was something that spoke to you I want to encourage you to stand in this moment I want to pray for you I want to know who we're gonna be praying for this morning and the reason we ask you to stand is not to embarrass you belittle you but we truly believe when we respond on the outside to something that God's doing on the inside it becomes all the more real. And so right now, I'm just going to pray. And if you're comfortable in this moment, I just want to encourage you to lift your hands to receive what God's going to do. God, I pray for every person in this room right now. God, I thank you that we are in an incredible season, the most formative season of our life. And God, I pray right now for the person that walked in discouraged by the process they're in, I pray you would encourage them in Jesus' name. I pray you would fill them with faith in Jesus' name. I pray they would walk out of this room different because of a word that was spoken from heaven over their life and it went into the seed of their soul and grew and developed and transformed into something that they've never seen. God, I pray right now that you would get us so uncomfortable in this season. God, that you would stretch us, that you would mold us, that you transform us into who you are calling us to become. God, I pray that we would be challenged because God, we can then be changed into the image of your son. And God, right now, I pray that we'd be faithful in this season. 
that no matter what comes, no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, God, I pray right now for faith to feel their life, to see that you're working even when they don't see it, to see that you're still moving even when they don't feel it. God, I pray for a vision, a revelation, a understanding of who you have called and created them to become. God, I pray that they would leave different. They'd feel different. They'd sense your presence working, moving, speaking to them. God, I pray for a word right now, right now for these people. God, I pray that we would be faithful right now so we can be fruitful with what's next. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to just remain standing. Just remain standing. Those of you, you know who you are. Those of you that heard the voice of the Father, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the, the portion that I was fortunate enough to share this morning, I just want you to stand up on your feet right now. Just, just join your brothers and sisters that are already standing and, and being ministered to. As you stand up this morning, here's my prayer. And it's a genuine prayer. It's a sincere prayer. God, I pray today for these precious people um, to, to embrace the tension of the strain, to embrace the tension of life, to, to embrace the tension of the battle, to, to embrace the tension of the schedule, of the demands, of the budgets, of the balances, of the families, of the fun, to embrace it and to not go to sleep at the wheel, to, to not mission drift off course, to, to not abandon the path that you've chartered for them, but to all the more so, God, be reminded of who they are as your children, to, to be reminded of the victory that they already have and to be faithful, to just stay engaged, to watch you, here it is, to step in and to do the supernatural, God, is as they just remain on course, as they just remain in the game, as they just remain awake at the wheel, I pray that you would come in and do what only you can do. God, begin to give them promotion. Begin to give them victory. Begin to give them breakthrough. Begin to give them supernatural provision. Strengthen their hearts. Strengthen their faith. And ensure them that they will walk in victory, conquering, living above. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm just going to go ahead and ask everybody else to stand up. Because I already know we all need intimacy with the Father. I don't care what stage we're in, whether we're a child, whether we're young, whether we're mature, the battle still rages. It still rages in me. The enemy's still after the mature. It doesn't matter. So, so all of us need intimacy with the Father. So God, I pray that you would give us first a desire to know you to spend time with you, to spend time in your word, to spend time in prayer. God, I pray that as that you would give us discipline, as we have that desire, God, that we would that we would discipline our lives to set aside time to spend with you, to, to spend on our heel. And God, that that while we set aside that time, God, that you would give us divine revelation of who you are. God, meet us there. Meet your people there. We trust you, God. 
by faith we are coming to meet with you. God, download. Give us a heavenly download, God. And God, then give us the, the strength. Release your power in us to be an echo of the things we're learning of you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your tenderness and your grace, God. Thank you for choosing us and desiring to spend time with us. In Jesus' name we pray.